0: Let's take our Bibles again and open with me to Luke chapter 22, and if you can, it would probably be uh, very beneficial to keep a finger in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, I'll be asking you to to turn back there in a few moments. Um, We thought about this uh, passage from Luke 22. Uh, The last time we came to the Lord's table, and one of the things that's uh, very helpful for me with sermon discussions is to kind of hear what what really struck you from a sermon. And last time I just mentioned in passing about these four cups that were part of the Passover feast, and I want to come back and look at this in in more detail because I really do think this will enrich our understanding of the Lord's Supper and cause us to see more of Christ and his work in it. So Luke 22, I'll begin reading in verse 14, read through verse 30, and then I'm going to skip down and I'll read from verses 41 and 42, which is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane after he left the upper room. So congregation, let's hear with great care and great gratitude The very word of God. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise after the supper, excuse me, and likewise after the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them, As to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is, is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are the ones who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I'll skipping down to uh, verses 41 and, and 42, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. That is the Word of God. We trust that He will answer our prayers for the blessing upon it today. Our focus, as I mentioned this morning, and even this evening, will be on Luke chapter 22, and how Luke specifically highlights for us that the Lord's Supper was instituted in the context of the Passover feast. Luke wants us to see how Jesus was about to fulfill all of the symbolism that was part of that Old Testament sacramental meal. And if we think about it, the Passover was really a meal for the exodus. Uh, We read in Exodus chapter 6, it was instituted before the exodus, or excuse me, in Exodus 12, it was instituted before the the exodus they aided on the very night of the exodus but even when they were set free from the bondage in egypt when they were living in the wilderness the lord commanded them to keep that feast and as they kept that feast in the wilderness they very much remembered the great redemptive act of god in bringing them out of Egypt out of the bondage of slavery but at the same time they were looking forward they were looking forward to the promised land of rest that the Lord promised to give to them and in the same way we could say that the Lord's Supper also is a meal for the Exodus think back to the the imagery that we keep encountering in the book of Numbers Exodus, wilderness, promised land. And just as the Lord instituted Passover before the Exodus, in Luke 22 we find the Lord Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper before the greater Exodus. And Luke in particular, I think, invites us to see this connection. In Luke chapter 9... Earlier in this gospel, when Jesus was transfigured on that mountain, we read that two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his departure. Literally, in the original, they spoke of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus, his cross, was the greater exodus. For the true Passover lamb would free his people from the bondage of sin and death. And so the timing of the institution of the Passover and the Lord's Supper are similar before the exodus, before God accomplished. These great redemptive acts were his sinful, enslaved people. And like the Passover did, now the Lord's Supper, as we look back and we remember the exodus that Jesus accomplished, we remember his body given, his blood shed for us on the cross, we remember our exodus, our salvation being brought out from the slavery of sin. But yet we're not home yet. We're not in the promised land of heaven yet. We're in the wilderness. And so we observe this meal now in the wilderness to have our faith strengthened as we look forward to the promised rest of heaven. And while we struggle in this wilderness, while we struggle with sin and we struggle with hardship and sorrow we observe this sacrament and we're nourished and we're strengthened by Christ to press on toward our promised land of rest. Now Luke gives the most detailed account of Passover uh, of all the Gospel writers and yet he still leaves out a whole lot and that's because a lot was assumed Uh, Those who would have originally read this account would have been instantly in their minds been able to fill in all of the details of the the Passover celebration. And it's a bit hard for us to to understand, but I I could relate it to us in in this way. Think about our celebrations that we all enjoy in our, our culture. If I said to you, and they carved the turkey, your brain right now just filled in a myriad of details. You, you know that they didn't just cart the turkey, they ate the turkey. And the turkey wasn't the only thing on the table, but there was a bunch of other food as well. We, we, we know that practice, we fill in the details. But if I said, and he blew out 10 candles, I don't have to give you any explanation. You know the candles were on a cake, You know, it was a birthday celebration. You know that they sang happy birthday before he blew out the candles. All those things we automatically fill in. And that's what the original readers of this passage would have done. And that's uh, what I want us to do. I want us to do the work of filling in the details this morning. Because while Luke only mentions two cups, there were actually four cups in the Passover feast and... Uh, The ancient reader would have filled in all the details and they would have brought in all of the symbolism that went with those cups. And so let's first think about those four cups of the Passover feast. And what I want to underline for you right away is that for our Old Testament brothers and sisters, this Passover meal, these four cups, Well, we could say that they were about that exodus. They reminded them of God's great redemptive acts. We also must underline that it all pointed to Christ. And the true Israelite looked forward in faith to the Messiah and His work. It wasn't merely a looking back to the exodus from Egypt, but they look forward to their greater exodus in Christ. Now, On the night that Jesus was betrayed in this upper room, when he observed this last Passover meal, we know that drinking four cups were a part of this feast. Uh, We learn a lot from an ancient rabbinic source called the Mishnah, and in that source we know that this was this was codified, this was part of their celebration. They would drink these four cups and it shouldn't surprise us, but each cup was filled with red wine, symbolic of the slain lamb that laid on the table before them. The blood of that slain lamb was symbolized in those cups. And each cup had a different name and as the Passover meal was eaten and as those cups were passed we know that the Egyptian Hallel was sung That's Psalms 113 to 118 and I think as uh, this is a great benefit of being psalm singers is we're familiar with these psalms and it's interesting and we'll think about this how they tie in thematically to these cups so let's Think about these cups, and at this point I would invite you to turn back to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 6, and if you want to, you can keep a finger in Luke 22. There were four of these cups, and each of them had a reference to, or we can say they signified and sealed one of the saving acts of God mentioned in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, Just look with me at verses 6 and 7. And and remember the, the four saving acts of God. I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Those saving acts were all tied up filled into those cups, as it were, and Jesus clearly drew upon this imagery when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and what we will see is that those saving acts of God mentioned there in Exodus 6, those saving acts of God that were symbolized in each of those cups, they are all fulfilled in Jesus. Fulfilled in his exodus that he accomplished at Jerusalem. Let's think about those cups. The first one, and you'll notice some of these go by multiple names. The first one was called the cup of thanksgiving or the cup of sanctification. And this related to that statement in Exodus 6.6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians there's two names that are applied to it thanksgiving just simply thanking the Lord for that great salvation Uh, sanctification is a reference from them being brought out and separated that's what sanctification means brought out and separated to be God's people and this is the cup that Luke mentions in verse 17 when he says that Jesus took a cup. It's the first cup Luke mentions. And the other thing that helps us out is that we know that there were these liturgical form prayers that were used during the Passover feast that a host would never divert from. It would have been sacrilegious to divert from these prayers and so the blessing or the prayer of thanks that Jesus almost certainly prayed would have been, I have it in your outline, Blessed be thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who hast created the fruit of the vine. Now compare that with what we read in Luke twenty-two seventeen and 18. And he took a cup, first cup, and when he had given Thanks. In other words, Luke is telling us it was probably right there that he prayed that prayer that I just read. And then notice how Jesus weaves the language from that prayer into what he says. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, Jesus was showing how his Exodus would bring us out from under the burden of sin and the curse. He was showing how he would fulfill what was symbolized there. But how would he do that? How would he bring us out? How would he bring salvation to us? How did God bring salvation to Israel from Egypt? And the answer is judgment. And it makes sense then. The second cup was called the cup of judgment or the cup of plagues. And this cup signified those saving acts of God in Exodus 6.6 6, when he says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. And how would God do that? The, the end of verse 6, with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Now Luke doesn't mention this cup, but this is one of those, you know, he blew out the candles moment. We know a cake was there. Um, we knew they sang before the candles were blown out. Uh, that second cup we know was drunk after an explanation of how the Lord delivered His people from Egypt with those plagues of judgment. And we know that roughly at this point, Psalms 113, we sung Psalm 113 to begin the service, but at this point, 113 to 115 were sung. And and I want you to notice thematically how this fits in the Passover feast. Um, Psalm 113 7 and 8. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. He, he delivers them. Uh, Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out from Egypt. And while Luke does not mention this cup in the context of the Passover feast, We know that Jesus, who would have held that symbolic cup of judgment in His hand, when He left that upper room and went into the Garden of Gethsemane, He used the language of this cup in His prayer to the Father. And He felt the weight. The cup was no longer symbolic, it was real. He felt the weight of the judgment and the wrath of His Father that awaited Him on the cross and He prayed, Father, Father, if You are willing, let this cup pass from Me. At this point, after that second cup, the meal would be eaten, the Passover lamb would be consumed, and the third cup then came after the supper. And you'll notice that it, it seems peculiar to us in Luke 22:20, 20, The cup is called the cup after they had eaten. That was sort of common. That was another name for the third cup, which was called the cup of redemption or salvation or blessing. And this is likely why... Uh, Paul uses the language of the communion cup in 1 Corinthians 10. He says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, a communion in the blood of Christ? It's this third cup that signified and sealed the saving act of God in Exodus 6.6, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And at this point, Psalms 116 and 117 were sung. And for us as psalm singers, I think we can see the significance here, where Psalm 116 has that well-known statement, I will lift the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 116 is or 117 is a glorious praise psalm for the Lord's great redeeming love for His people, for all nations. And so it was that cup that Jesus lifted and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A cup that is to remind the people that they were redeemed by the application of the blood of a Passover lamb to their houses. Jesus now takes and it now represents to us the blood of the true Passover lamb. The lamb slain for us and his blood applied not to our houses, but to our very lives, to our souls, bringing us redemption and salvation, and blessing. But then there was one more cup. It was called the cup of the kingdom, or the cup of acceptance. And this cup had an emphasis on the future. And it was connected with the saving work of God in Exodus 6-7, when He promised, I will take you to be My people, and I will be your God, and you shall know, that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It was a cup that pointed forward to the time when the Lord would come and take his people, accept them into his kingdom, that he would be their God, he would be with them and dwell with them, and again, we know at this point, Psalm 118 was sung. Matthew in particular notes this. In Matthew 26, 30, he says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That was Psalm 118. And we'll sing that psalm to close the service, but it's all about Christ. There's, there's multiple statements in it that are about Christ, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. That, that psalm says, open wide the gates of righteousness that that I may enter in. That, that image of being accepted into the very kingdom of God. Now, if you kept a finger in Luke 22, it might be helpful to turn back there, but... Again, Luke doesn't mention the cup of the kingdom or the cup of acceptance. Uh, but I would submit to you that the discussion that goes from verse 24 to verse 30 was prompted by this cup. They, they began to argue uh, uh, who of them was to be regarded as greatest. There was likely talk of being accepted into the kingdom of Christ. And in verses uh, uh, 29 and 30, Jesus says, And I assign to you as my Father assigns to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That was the context. And... It's not hard for us to see how these four cups are gloriously fulfilled in Jesus Christ and then He he has combined them for us into one cup in the Lord's Supper and it retains all of the glorious symbolism and meaning regarding the work of Jesus Christ. So what we see, and, and it shouldn't surprise us, but each of those saving acts of God in Exodus 6 that were signified and sealed in those four cups, each of those without exception is applied to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take. Every one of them is applied to who Jesus is and what He has done for us in His exodus at the cross. Think about those saving acts of Jesus. God says, I will bring you from under their burdens. In John 10, 4, Jesus, speaking of Himself, said, when He has brought out all His own He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Hebrews 2.10 speaks of Christ's life and death and suffering as bringing many sons to glory. The great work of Christ. He has brought us out from under the burden of our sins. His life and death is bringing us toward glory. But God also promised, I will deliver you. I will deliver you with great acts of judgment. In Luke 1.74 and Zechariah's prophecy regarding Jesus Christ, it was that he would deliver. And if you think about it, we pray every Lord's Day according to this promise, this reality when we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Hebrews 2.15 says that Jesus came to deliver those who were subject to what? Lifelong slavery. Christ delivered us by taking upon Himself the judgment of God for our sins. And it's interesting when you read the Gospels how often you read of Jesus being delivered up to be crucified. Jesus says, soon I will be delivered up to be crucified. That's a wonderful reality that Jesus was willingly delivered up to be crucified so that we could be delivered from the slavery of sin and of death. And it is only through judgment that salvation comes. Through redemption comes. And God said, I will redeem you. I will buy you back from your slavery. And in Galatians 3.13, we read that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us. Uh, First Peter 1, 18 and 19 that we read for our call to worship, Peter speaks of how we were ransomed or redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And note the Passover imagery. Like what? Like the blood of a lamb without blemish or spot. He will bring, he will deliver, he will redeem, but Jesus will take. He will take us to be with Himself. And if we go to John 14, which is the parallel account to Luke 22, uh, Jesus told His disciples that He was leaving them and that they couldn't yet come to be with Him. But he, He gives them and He gives us these comforting words Let not your hearts be troubled believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And listen to his promise. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. We considered in detail last time the the gracious and loving heart of Jesus toward us. That he earnestly desires to commune with us. And what another beautiful picture this is of Christ's love for us. He is now waiting for us. The table is set. His Father's house is, is ready for us. And he promises to come again and to take us. To be with Him in His kingdom. All of these were fulfilled by Jesus Christ and all of the symbolism fulfilled is now retained in our one cup in the Lord's Supper. And that one cup reminds us of the great cost of our salvation. It reminds us that salvation is of the Lord if you think about the symbolism and all those four cups there is not one reference to a human work I will I will that's what God says salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end he has taken us out from under the burden of our sins and it reminds us that It was God's own Son that bought us out of that slavery. He was the one that delivered us because the righteous judgment of a holy God was quenched in Jesus Christ. And when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and He agonized and He sweat blood and He prayed if it would be possible for that cup to pass from Him, in his humanity, he wished that that cup of judgment, the one that everyone else except him deserved to drink, though he wished that that could pass from him, he obediently and he willingly drank that cup because he knew. That redemption could only come if judgment was borne by Him. And it led to our redemption. It led to blessing and salvation through the true Lamb of God. That's why Paul calls this cup the cup of blessing that we bless. What greater blessing could there be than Christ, our Passover lamb, that blessing that He purchased? For us, through his death and burial and resurrection, that cup of redemption in the Passover feast, it always stood for more than an escape from Egypt. It represented God's plan and purpose for all time, where judgment and salvation where wrath and redemption would come together in His Son. Finally, this little cup that we have reminds us of the coming of Christ and His kingdom and the acceptance of us, His bride, into that kingdom. We looked at the cup imagery in more detail last time and how in the ancient world, drinking a cup with someone was symbolic of sharing an experience with them. And and here we are reminded that as we take this cup with Jesus, that we share in His death and His resurrection, and we share in His place in His Father's kingdom. And that means at this moment we can come before the throne of grace in His kingdom with boldness. But it also reminds us that his kingdom will come and that he will come again to take us, to be with him. And it is with that glorious image that Psalm 23 ends. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Four cups, one Christ. and We have just one little simple cup. The symbolism is all there. It's all fulfilled. It proclaims that Christ has done it all. From beginning to end, He has accomplished our salvation. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Christ, our true Passover Lamb. We thank You that through His body given and His blood shed, we have been brought out from under the burdens of our sin, and of Satan. That We have been delivered we have been delivered from from hell by a savior who bore the judgment that should have been ours we're thankful for his redemption redemption by his blood we have been bought out of slavery to be yours lord we thank you for the promise of your coming and your kingdom when you will come again to take us to be your people. Well, we pray with the eyes of faith this day that we might be able to look beyond the mere uh, symbols, the mere physical signs, and that we might behold the reality of Jesus Christ. We pray in his great name. Amen. If you have your Bibles... Before you, let's open together to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, reading the words of warning and institution, reading from verse 23 uh, to verse 32, Um, again, congregation, let's hear God's word with care. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are, are, we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Amen. The table that's set before us today is indeed a great gift from our Savior who loves us. And as we considered last time, the same heart of the same Savior remains. The one who earnestly desired to commune with His disciples. That last Passover meal still earnestly desires to commune with sinners like us. He earnestly desires for us to come to Him, to confess our sins to Him, to know that He will forgive us and cleanse us and equip us. He he desires for us to be encouraged to know that this wilderness is not all there is, that He will one day come and take us to be with Him. And So if you are prepared to come today with faith, with humility, with self-examination and confession of sin, hear the gracious words of our Savior from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.